Hey, welcome back to the Connor Widmeyer podcast. Today we have a guest, a very special guest named Arjun Kamani. Arjun is a self-described unconventional student. He writes online about science, philosophy, progress, and education, and he has a podcast on YouTube at Arjun Kamani. And yeah, I wanted to interview Arjun because he's a very impressive young man. I've been very impressed with his writings and with his podcasting, and I wanted to see how he thinks, what he's thinking about, what his long-term goals are, and that's part of what we talked about before, and how he got onto such an impressive trajectory while still in high school. If you're another curious person, you know, doing things on the internet, this interview is going to be really interesting for you, and I hope you enjoy Thanks. Arjun, thanks for being here today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So you're a highly unconventional student I've read from your website. What makes you unconventional? Well, for starters, I don't care about grades. And uh, most students tend to care about grades and that sort of guides their learning in school. What I care about is actual learning, which is growth dependent and not grade dependent. and Instead of, you know, learning from whatever school, uh, whatever the curriculum is in school and whatever they ask you on a test, I let my guiding, uh, I let my learning uh, just be more free flowing, though there is some structure to it. But I like it to be out of curiosity instead of um, getting some grades at school. And uh, that's kind of the basic reason why I'm an unconventional student. Yeah, let's double down on that for a second, because for a lot of people, you know, grades are very stressful. You're 17, by the way, right? Still? 16. So, Oh, shit. Sorry. Okay, 16. Um, how did you find a way to, like, get detachment from grades? Because for a lot of people, everything at 16, right? They're really stressed about getting good grades. They can go to the right university, get the right job. But for you, you seem to be able to kind of zoom out and see what's really important. I did not have that at 16. Where did you get that wisdom or perspective? Sure. I used to care a lot about grades before lockdown and COVID-19. Like I, I was like a typical student in, uh, and a teenager caring about grades, caring about video games and whatever, uh, you know, a normal 13-year-old is somewhat uh, cares about. And then lockdown hit, COVID-19 hit. Then I wasn't exposed to the same groups of people I would have been had I gone to school, right? It was all work from home thing. And um, so I wasn't meeting the same kinds of people. You know, I was isolated in a sense, but obviously connected online with them. But uh, I wasn't in that space where I was being fed all these same ideas day in and day out that you have to get good grades that, you know, it's all just implicit within that circle. So I wasn't in that circle anymore in that physical space. And uh, to sort of, Instead of that, I had access to a lot of counterculture material, that is books and uh, stuff written down that was, you know, just kind of mind-blowing to me at that time because when I started pick, uh, start to pick up on reading all this, uh, it was like, it was completely different from the philosophy I used to have uh, as a typical student. And um, that sort of led to my de- detachment from grades and the conventional way of doing things. And... Uh, I was lucky to have a friend who really, uh, we both dug deep into conversation during this lockdown period. Mm -hmm. He was in my building, so, you know, there weren't any restrictions to be meeting with him. And we would have like long conversations, two or three hours a day and long walks, long talks. And uh, he introduced me to the idea of entrepreneurship. 
which was completely novel to me because I thought you actually had to, uh, you know, I thought engineer or law, you had to be an engineer, lawyer, or doctor because that's what sort of yeah. was instilled around me. But uh, with that friend and with other kinds of books and stuff that essentially led to the spark. And um, yeah, it kind of just all burned down afterwards after um, kind of compounding effect of all these different ideas onto my worldview. Yeah, very interesting that it happened to you during COVID because something similar happened to me as too. Maybe coming from the American, growing up outside of New York City perspective, lawyer, engineer, doctor, for us, that's kind of like investment banker and management consultants. <laughs> These are like the things that everyone other than technical people seem to be working to, towards. And I was also just kind of chasing after this. I have no idea why. Um, and then it took really that lockdown and that that getting out of that, um, yeah, echo chamber, I guess, of, of what's acceptable. Um, what sort of ideas or, or books or, or podcasts like who who is the spark because for me it was like i found jordan peterson which was like oh okay maybe i want to like take control then it was like i found the ball and then from the ball it just was domino fit. like then i started reading every book on the good and then really changed a lot of things for me for you who was like that that first person that really inspired you maybe that you got because of the internet not opposed to physical sure so, uh i do want to give credit to my friend at that point yeah. but okay. yeah obviously not all of us have access to that same friend but um on the internet i would say let me just pop up something so that i have a better view yeah, of sure. what i read during that time because i have all these ideas yeah. but then i don't remember the sources right because sources are they don't really matter uh the ideas do but anyway to tell people i think a few uh very influential books were Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki and his work. Uh, then How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. Um, Classic. Scott, Ad Scott Adams, How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big. Uh, yeah, the, these were like, I started off as self-improvement things and then kind of uh, YouTubers and internet influences and stuff, they were Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, uh, Andrew Kirby, mm. David Perel later on. So uh, those were kind of the people who also inspired me to start creating content because these three guys, they talk about creating online and creating writing stuff. So uh, that was how it was. And later on, I got into, not really later on, but kind of in uh, after a while, I got into Nawal's ideas. And from there, I came to the beginning of Infinity which was recently last year. And uh, that book totally changed my worldview again. So that was even more yeah. counterculture and even more different to what I had previously thought about the world. And I thought like, you know, I was different, but then I looked at these ideas, which were entirely different. And so um, they were awesome. Yeah. I listened to your interview with Andrew. I heard uh, him kind of bounce that beginning of infinity question back to you. Um, I think we'll hold off on that because if it's over Andrew's head, it's probably over my head. So, <laughs> but that is definitely, that's on my eventual list too. Um, we'll be very curious to hear. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll on that again 
but something that you, you spoke about before is David Perel. I want to ask you about this, right? You're 16. David Perel is one of the, like in our little corner of the internet, probably a lot of people look up to him, right? And he's had a big impact on, on a lot of people. How did you get him on your podcast? You have 12 episodes now, right? When you had him on the show, I think he was your 11th guest or or uh, I don't remember 10 to 11. Yeah. Around there. Right. So that's, that's pretty impressive. What was, what did you do to say to convince him to, you know, spend his time with you and, and be on your show, be on your well, podcast? Yeah. So the simple answer is that I just asked all my podcast guests kindly. <laughs> that That's really all there is to it. Just ask them kindly. But, um, like it's more complicated than that because the internet is very serendipitous and it's not that that it, it was something that I, something specific I said to David Perel or any of the podcast guests I had for that matter, but it was just kind of the credibility I created for myself after having posted a ton and being connected with people and those connections leading to kind of more connections in that network and, um, so just started publishing online, basically. And there's no really simple answer to this because I, I started with zero followers, right? Zero podcast guests, zero followers, zero nothing. And um, I was like, yeah, I want to kind of go there and be big one day and uh, sure, amass followers. But then I also found fun in the journey and I actually wanted to be writing what I wanted to be writing because otherwise I wouldn't have written 100 blog posts in 100 days, which was a commitment I made to myself. Uh, the first day I started a blog, I was like, okay, uh, this blog day one and post one, and now I'm going to post 100 blog posts in the next 100 days. So that's exactly what I did, but nobody was reading them because nobody knew of my blog then. And uh, I still kept writing them because it was just fun to be writing them. And it gave me an excuse to be doing something else other than attending online classes. I was still attending online classes, but I was like on another tab and writing uh, from my blog. Yeah. So that was during lockdown. And yeah, so just writing a lot, then seeing that nobody was reading them, I went onto Twitter and started DMing just these people who might find interest in what I had to say and what I had to write about and uh, kind of just connecting with them one-on-one, -on -one, having a lot of these calls. And that kind of just eventually led to having David on the podcast, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah. So it started with writing online essentially. And then from there, the credibility you build for yourself, even I like that you started writing without like, you didn't care. You wrote a hundred blogs. Didn't matter if no one read them. Um, besides the serendipitous aspect and, and the benefits of writing online and publishing and, and connections you can make of that to you, what have been the benefits of just writing in general, like learning to like to write? Because I can imagine based on your story and based on my experience, writing in school kind of sucks. I hated it. I thought I hated writing. I never wanted to write. I left school thinking I'm a writer, I hate writing. And now my, my main profession right now is writing. And I love writing. Like, that's fun. So yeah. how did you, what, to break into like, like writing just in general, like what have been the benefits? How did you find out you love writing and, and all that? Yeah. So after reading like a ton of books, the kind of natural step was to be writing. And so I basically just, you know, picked up the laptop and started putting down some words. And I actually, before the blog, I had this idea for a book, which is still 
this idea and I'm still working on it. Um, and to write a book, I your was, own book. Yeah, my own book. And uh, I had this idea after. So it was actually funny. I watched this uh, musical called Hamilton. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, it's by Lynn Manuel Miranda. And um, it's a story based on Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers of the United States. And yeah, he, th that musical was like, uh, yeah, that kind of inspired me to actually, you're right, for some reason, uh, because it was heavily focused on this man who um, essentially writes his way out of things. And so my, my idea was like writing my way out of the conventional path kind of way. Uh, I didn't have it framed that way, but I just felt like I had to write. And obviously, after reading, kind of was a natural step to be writing. So yeah. I started with the idea for the book, but I was like, you know, I want to publish something more regularly. That's what That was the time when I was watching people like Andrew Kirby, Gary Vaynerchuk, and uh, those kinds of people. And so I was like, okay, let me start a blog and start publishing all these ideas more regularly. So, um, yeah, I just... I kind of thought of writing as a tool for thinking as well, because it just allowed my thoughts to be more clear and more precise. So I guess yeah. falling in love with writing was more like just thinking clearly and falling in love with thinking, maybe. Something I find really interesting about your story is that the, your first thought was as a writer, I'm going to write a book, right? That's so that's traditional, right? And then you you were finding these ideas online and then the blog, which lets you which leads to volume, right? And volume is essential, right? Qua quantity leads to qualities, yeah. like tuning. Um, and then all those extra benefits of writing online, I'm kind of inspired right now, man. Like a hundred blogs in a hundred days is, is uh, that's not easy. Yeah, uh, they, they weren't very good quality though. So it's like, but I kind of had to take that, uh, not really risk, but I, I really wanted to take that route because I knew that iterations would mean just better quality. And so mm. if I kept on writing and writing, like eventually by criticizing my own pieces later on and finding my own uh, past pieces very cringe, I would think, you know, out of actually improved my writing. And um, so I just kept writing, even though they were kind of bad drafts. At the end of the day, I just published them and uh, yeah, just went on and sort of improved my writing. This is something I gained from attending David Perl's course, actually, uh, Rite of Passage. This one is for teenagers, Rite of Passage Liftoff, uh, teenagers slash high schoolers. Uh, he has this famous course called Rite of Passage, which is for adults mainly. But um, I attended this. It was in the beta cohort kind of thing. And this might be like a, another reason why I was kind of um, able to get David on the podcast. Uh, simply as well because I had connected with him through that and um, but yeah even that kind of was just because of these serendipitous events and that was like a whole thing that led me to taking the course but then anyway the course essentially taught me that writing can be improved and this this sentence is like a quite a profound one because I, I used to think you know like writing, many people kind of think that uh, you're either a writer or you're not, right? You either create art or it's kind of logical or this and that, but writing can be improved like anything else. And uh, most other things and most other skills can be improved upon if you just stick with it long enough and uh, kind of aim to criticize your own ideas and be okay with that. 
Yeah, I want, I want to ask you about that too because I have the same exact feeling about writing. I'm not a writer. That's it, period. Not a writer. Right? And then just the unlock. Oh, wait, it's a skill. Anyone can learn to write. And and like, how do you learn to write? You you read a lot like you did, and then you write. You you apply. Um, did you also have this sort of mental block with creativity? Because I remember also thinking, I'm not a creative person. Um, did did you have a similar feeling, or was that because I I also had this weird um, perception of what creativity meant? Right, it meant you made paintings or or whatnot. Um, and I think people like Andrew and David Perel they really opened my eyes to, to what it means to be creative and, and, and what type of opportunities there are to express your creativity and, and meet cool people, monetize your, your talents. Um, yeah. Did you have this sort of block with creativity in general or not? You were like, no, I'm creative. I did not. I, I didn't even, like, I don't think I even used that term a lot. I was just like, there's something I want to do. And so I'm getting after it and uh, doing it. Nice. But, Creativity is definitely much larger than just art pieces and uh, just drawings and paintings. Like even our scientific theories, our creative conjectures about the world. Sure, uh, the world is the way it is, but then the way we understand the world, it's through our own creativity. We recreate knowledge and uh, kind of just, you know, thinking about nature is like, we don't just uh, kind of duplicate what, nature is into our own minds we create that knowledge about nature and we use it to our benefit so even those are like creative aspects problem solving uh in a business right it's all creative and um, right now i think with the rise of ai which i don't really see as a very big stressor is like creativity is humanity's edge right let's Let's just talk about that for a sec, because I also recently had the same ideas. Oh, wait, it's, it's a tool to, to enhance me. Like it's not, it's not, it's not a threat. How come you don't see AI as a stressor when a lot of people, especially a lot of young people who are trying to figure out what to do with their careers are pretty stressed, right? Like they're like, Oh shit. Like a lot of people are getting nihilistic about it. Maybe. Um, why are you not at all stressed about AI? And, and what do you, I, I saw you, you you just had a blog post why um, ChatGPT is not a step towards AGI. Was that the post? Yeah, uh, yeah, that was for uh, like a newsletter kind of thing we were writing. But the so th- that's kind of different because AGI is creative and uh, it's like people. AGI is a person, right? It is like a human. It can create knowledge and it can solve problems mm-hmm. using its own creativity and. Uh, go beyond the entire landscape of information that's already within its database. And artificial intelligence, uh, a normal artificial AI, uh, like it can't really go beyond the information it is coded to do. So like all the information it has, ChatGPT, right? It has this vast uh, vast database of uh, information, but then it can actually sort of extrapolate and interpolate all these different ideas and give you an answer, but it can't really do anything beyond what it is programmed to do. But humans and people and AGI, for that matter, they can. Uh, ChatGPT isn't a step towards AGI because um, we don't understand how creativity works yet. And that's not something that uh, is involved into ChatGPT. ChatGPT is just interpolating and extrapolating data. But... 
yeah, the reason I'm not stressed about it is, um, sure, these uh, artificial intelligences, they, they will take up jobs, but they will also create jobs. And a lot of stuff will go automated. And I think that's good because right. these uh, <laughs> things get taken care of. We humans will, have, will be able to spend time on more creative problems and be able to solve problems that are more meaningful, more creative, and uh, just work on something we're good at, creativity. Right. I, I like that a lot. I like that. Uh, it's, it, looking at it as like, okay, it's an unlock, like, cause there's a lot of work that people are doing right now that they don't necessarily enjoy. And if we can find ways to automate that or eliminate it, that's, that's kind of a nice thing, I think, and, and save more time for creative endeavors. But while we're on the topic, um, I know you have found a way to, to monetize your writing skills as a 16 year old, which is incredibly impressive. A lot of people, would just first of all like not even have the courage to think like oh okay i can get paid to write uh second of all they don't even would might not even know what copywriting is i know i had never copyrighted until i was in my 20s do you want to if you're comfortable talking about it talk about your your copywriting gig that i know you you've been doing some copywriting email copywriting right how yes. did you step into that and how are you finding that and what have you learned from this experience maybe like freelancing as a, as a high schooler <laughs> Sure. So it's interesting that even I didn't know about copywriting before someone approached me and was like, you know, would you be interested in doing this? And I was like, yeah, sure. I know how to write. I don't know about copywriting, but I guess I can learn. And if you'd like to have me on the team, I'd be, you know, happy to. And um, like a couple of people like this and one I'm with right now, uh, I work at a marketing agency startup, which is like with a very cool team of creative people and, uh, you know, all mostly kind of freelancers, but we're building something that's uh, allowing other clients, our clients to scale their own online businesses. So yeah, I write, I do email copywriting for them, but uh, I wasn't like, so, so the founder there, he approached me and was like, you know, I, uh, again, maybe through a serendipitous chance event of the internet, he approached me and was like, you know, would you be interested in doing this? And I was like, sure, I would love to. And kind of started there and just learned along the way. And I guess what I learned is that, like specifically about copywriting, is that it's easy to think of your copy as great, but then that might not actually be uh, something that your audience thinks is great. So you can be proud of your own copy, but then your audience might not really like it. So you, you want to eliminate that pride aspect this, and just focus on the customer. I think this is a super interesting point, And especially for people creating online, like there you could be playing games where there's market feedback, right? And, and it also kind of can lead to perverse incentives sometimes. Like if you, like I know from some guys who are like pretty deep in the copywriting game, they think a lot of it's bullshit because you know, you're, you're making up stories and finding out, okay, which, which angle works best. And then they might start bending the truth. Oh, you don't have to go that way. But also like, if we look at like Twitter threads, right? Like what is the, like a lot of them start to look the same, right? Because people are, they're all trying to play the same game. And I'm also playing this game, right. Of, of sort of like maximizing impressions or, um, which is, it's just a very different thing than like writing an idea, writing a blog that you're very interested in for the sake of trying to clarify your thinking. It's, it's just a very, it's a very different thing. 
And uh, I don't know exactly where I wanted to go on this, but you, you just reminded me of it. Like how when there is sort of like direct market feedback, it's a good thing, right? Because then you can say, okay, this worked or it didn't work. But it can sometimes like go in a strange direction. Yeah, I agree with like a lot of Twitter threads starting to look the same right now. And I personally don't like it. It's good to get your impressions and stuff. And actually like, some of your good threads because they include personal storytelling and stuff. So I love them. But those that are just, you know, framework based and kind of just this one, two, three points kind of thing. I sometimes use it, but like not really in that same kind of sense because uh, sure they can maximize your impressions, but I really like the way of getting those impressions because those ideas are kind of mainstream and that's not really yeah. the problem, right? Those ideas are just well known, and there's no like real meaning in repeating them again and again. And um, I guess it is if you want to let your audience know. But yeah, kind of like an entire loophole there. But the idea of sort of thinking your writing through and then creating something more meaningful that that can have like you you can get like audience feedback from that as well. It might not hit that big because you know, people want to be reading these short Twitter threads or short tweets and stuff. But if you're able to find, kind of find the balance between that and just catch someone's attention by sharing something very valuable, again, it depends on what your niche is and what your audience is. But if you can find something that catches your attention and let them read your stuff, watch your, watch your stuff, then um, I guess you can even go into the deep things and People yeah, I like it. And it really, it does depend what what you're optimizing for. Like, what what are you? What game are you playing? Are you trying to grow your audience yeah. so that you can launch something off it, or are you trying to say like, okay, like I want to connect with the smartest, most curious, creative people. I know that this one piece is going to resonate with like five people, but it's the exact five people I want to speak with. Let me find a way to get in front of them. Um, versus like, okay, I want to let's just grow this thing because because for the sake of it. Um, yeah, it does it does kind of start with um, what you're playing. Yeah. But speaking of that, man, like what what are you what are you? I know this is this is kind of a loaded question, so so forgive me. But like, what are you trying to? What is the infinite game for you? Like, where are you trying to go with this? If if I had to guess, like I think you want to learn like as much as possible, which is which is pretty similar to me. But where are you trying to? this what are you trying to go with everything you're doing with the creating online with the skill stacking with the meeting interesting people like i just know you in like two years you're gonna have opportunities pouring out of your ears like i can't even imagine like what what, what you want to build companies you want to help reform education like i don't even know just what are you, what are you thinking of? where are you heading or are you not thinking that far ahead? well right now i feel like there's two problems that i want to solve which are very interesting problems to me. And one is indeed the education problem and the way it is done. And uh, just this coercive compulsory nature of education, wanting to solve that, get my hands dirty into that. And I've been fortunate enough to have conversations with people on my podcast and even offline, uh, building things that are uh, trying to disrupt the way education is done. And so, yeah, it's just been an interesting mix of opinions and perspectives there. And the other problem is sending humanity to Mars. And 
right now it would seem that I'm not doing anything related to that, but um, I, re I really kind of want to go into that direction later on and just try and make a leap for humanity and settle down on Mars or something like that. But obviously Absolutely. problems like problems keep arising, right? And there's like, I don't know if I'm going to be interested in another problem very soon or uh, after yeah. I solve these this one or these two problems, what am I, what am I going to do? I don't know. Yeah. So Mars in the education system and I'm with on the education system. Mars, I haven't thought about hard enough yet, but I, I, I can see why that, that interests you, especially as such an like, intelligent young man, but with the education system, um, maybe we could start with where you think the biggest problems lay lie like what what's what's gone wrong because i i'm totally with you and i really respect that you fix it for yourself first i think finding a way to like okay education system failed me instead of just sitting there complaining about it say okay i'm going to educate myself now and that's what you've done the last few years right where is the education system failing today and why so i think like a big problem with education is that it is coercive in nature and authoritarian in nature. Uh, you go to school and you have to do what the teacher says and there are things that are quote unquote compulsory and stuff you have to do. And it's just this, the relation, if you just see the relationship between the teacher and the student, it's not a nice one, right? Uh, uh, I, like it depends from teacher to teacher, but really the majority of teachers, they like, they just uh, spit out the information that the students have to learn and throw out on the test. And uh, that's kind of just the relationship teachers and students have. And uh, you're supposed to ask the teacher to go to the washroom. Uh, I don't know how it is in different schools, but at least it is here. And there's just like a ton of stuff that you have to do, which is very coercive in nature and authoritarian. So that's like the problem because it doesn't allow students to question things that are done in school. It's very criticism and creativity inhibiting as well. And we kind of hinted at this, like creativity and criticism, this is how we make, this is how we create knowledge, right? This is how we make new theories and explain the world better. But if you have this top-down view of the world that you can't criticize and in school, like you just have to go with it and everyone is kind of indoctrinated, so to speak, with just this general idea that you have to get good grades, get into a good college or whatnot, then it just contaminates the view of learning and it really doesn't mean much to be learning in school. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of my rough thoughts right now. So it starts with the fact that it's coercive and um, this, the teacher relationship is kind of authoritative and, and really top down. And, and I, I could see that because, well, of course I also had to ask to go to the washroom, which is, <laughs> which is very funny. Um, <laughs> that just a couple years ago that's what we were doing are you still going to school by the way or do you are you at home now? i do yeah it's unfortunate oh but uh i'm trying to find my way behind that. i'm trying to find my way around that yeah yeah i like we spoke about this before but that that's a whole nother thing like parents because most parents like they want the best for you right that's 
you're very lucky if your parents want the best for you. And for, for most parents, like their, their thought is, okay, school is the best because then you can go this path, become a doctor, lawyer, engineer, whatever. How have you gone about approaching this to your parents? Be like, Hey, look, look what I'm doing. Like there's, it's resonating already. I'm only, I'm only 16. Like, look at what's happening versus like them wanting you. I don't know what your relationship to them is like, but they, my assumption is they probably want you to go to the traditional path. Like they've probably uh, thought that at least some point. How have you managed that or how has that been for you as sort of an unconventional student? Sure. So there has definitely been a lot of friction between me and my parents because I had these ideas changing during lockdown and they kind of just wanted me to do go down that traditional route and get a good job and have a nice family and do all that fun stuff. Um, but once I started, you know, questioning things and started telling them these uh, things about school and how uh, I just started to differ from what they had in mind, what their expectations were, kind of. Then, yeah, we definitely had a lot of friction, and we do till uh, we do today as well. But they their ideas also evolved after a while when they, you know, saw that this is something that you know he's actually doing. He's now earning some money, which is pretty impressive, and. Um, that kind of just opened their mind a bit, which was like, um, yeah, like maybe this is an option, but then they still want me to complete high school. So I kind of approached them with, okay, after high school, I'm going to take a gap year and not go to college, right, uh, in that gap year. And then my ideas were like, I never want to go to college. <laughs> so I'll just make that gap year a gap forever. So <laughs> I'll make that gap year a gap forever. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know, do I, do I even want to complete high school? And so that's where my thoughts are right now. But my parents really want me to go and complete high school right now, at least. And uh, yeah, try to find a middle ground there because I don't see value uh, coming from my schooling experience right now. So that's like 35 to 40 hours. Sorry. Sorry. I, Sorry. I, I respect yeah, your uh, just finishing up like 35 to 40 hours a week really isn't uh, worth my while in school. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I mean, the opportunity cost is massive, but most people don't see it as an opportunity cost because like you said, it's just do this. Of course, we don't even, don't even question it. Should I be going to school? Uh, I, I know I never did. Um, but to, to, to say like, fuck, I don't need to do this. I'll, I'll bleep this out if we're on YouTube, but uh, um that takes a ton of courage. So I, I really respect that because I, I, I know how to, to, to kind of switch up paths and say, I'm going to do my own thing. I, I believe I can do this. You know, I, I, I'm getting a lot of value from the internet. My education now is basically coming from the internet. Um, not from what's going on in school, but that's really impressive. Really impressive. Martin. The, the, the next thing I, I wanted to ask you, I kind of skipped over this on accident. Uh, we talked about the problem of the school, right? Coercive, stupid, boring, not worth the time. We need to do something, right? To There needs to be some sort of education system. Or, I don't know. Maybe there doesn't. Maybe that's the problem, that there is this top-down system. How would you like to see, like, with the tools we have now, with visualization, with the opportunity for the best teacher to teach many students, write a passage being a perfect example from David Perel, right? Like, the best writing class can reach everyone it's not subject to geography anymore how would you like to see education change um let's let's try to stick specifically to like 
youth education because I think people like us like it's kind of figured out a little bit like right you, you find the curators like Tim Ferriss, Dave Carell, and Naval, and then from there and then you, you you read books whatever like it's kind of it's kind of scattered but it's I think the problem isn't as big for people um, past the education system but for young people how would you like to see that like how you like we're up thinking yes I get to go to school today I'm hyped like what would that be like Sure. So I don't expect young people to be hyped about going to school because in my view of education, um, schooling shouldn't really even be a thing. And this is very complicated, right? Now we get in because some people actually even fight for the right of education. Like right now we're talking about this. We're talking about how education really sucks. Some people actually are facing a lot of problems and they want to be educated and they're deprived of education for whatever reasons. And they're fighting for education. We're like, you know, no, no, no. We don't want uh, this conventional way of doing education. And I guess right now, so like for the individual per se, they can get everything online, right? Uh, the same material that they have in school, they can get it online, probably taught by a better teacher and you can learn from chat gpt as well like literally you can learn a lot from chat gpt uh, you can cheat with it but you can learn with it as well right and so like sure you can cheat with it in your exams and uh not not really exams but like, like essays and stuff you can tell chat gpt to do that because like it's like really academic and kind of stupid in itself but you can uh learn a lot from chat gpt just online so many ideas and networks. Sorry, I don't know where I'm going with this, but um, yeah, kind of the, the broader aspect would be to make school non-compulsory. Uh, so when you make school non-compulsory, like that's like something we can take as choose. a first step. With, yeah, choose to go to school, right? In some states, like in most states, you have to go to school up to a certain age and uh, if you don't, it's like you kind of get into trouble with the government or whatnot. But um, make school non-compulsory. Give people an option to go to school, right? And because culture is so imbibed with this idea that learning happens in school, they aren't really seeing the value of education on the internet. And if you can see it, instead of scrolling through, you know, whatever TikTok videos that really aren't relevant to what you want to build and what you want to do, meaningfully then then you can kind of just understand the power of uh, learning online and it kind of just obviates uh, the reason for school like some people like for technical stuff like medical school and still stuff like right now we still need that because we need that mm -hmm. credentials for doctors and engineers like for people you know because you wouldn't want to uh, you wouldn't want your surgeon to be uh, you know, not have a credential. Like you, you want your surgeon to have gone through all that training and stuff, and that requires a credential right now, at least. But um, in the future, nanotechnology could replace doctors, right? And that sounds like a bold thing, bold claim. But um, yeah, we could see that happen, and that's like something that could get automated as well. But that's kind of way into the future right now. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, about credentials, uh, one, one really interesting idea I heard from Rory Sutherland, who's, I think, vice chairman at Ogilvy, 
the marketing firm was like, you can almost look at these degrees as trust placebos, right? If Arjun goes to med school, it costs him 200 grand and eight years of his life. He's not going to easily throw away that credential by cutting corners or something. It almost, it just, it like embeds trust. And to me that, that was a big, like, oh, that's kind of, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I don't think it was intentional, but um, for now, I do think that is a benefit of this credentialing. But I think when you say like make school non-compulsory, the fear that a lot of people are going to have of that, the immediate concern, right, is, okay, well then what will the kids do, right? They'll go home, they'll pop, they'll play video games, and then we'll, society will crumble. So my question to you is how can we inspire more young people to want to learn, to want to write, to out of their own volition think writing is cool let me write online let me read these books because i want i i think you started with self-help books right so did i i think a lot of people start there what would you say to that a way to inspire learning or, or curiosity again which has been stamped out well i i guess kids are like naturally curious maybe school is something that snatches away that curiosity and that kind of willingness to want to learn to read, to write, and to do all these things. And Noel has this famous quote, right? Read what you love until you love to read. And that also explains why a lot of people don't like to read because they're forced into reading all these big textbooks in school. And then later on, they're like, you know, they, they read all the books that they kind of just were forced into reading and they really didn't like that much. They were incentivized to read it because they had to, uh, write a test about it and yeah that explains why perhaps they don't they aren't really big on reading later on in life and if you can instill if you can just let children uh, our kids go and kind of discover the natural interests their curiosities then yeah they can really uh, kind of just would want to learn more themselves and if they aren't inhibited by these certain policy not really policies but like just these way of ways of doing things then um i guess that really inhibits the growth of knowledge for themselves and for society at large as well that's perfect i, I like that a lot and i didn't really put two and two together on that with read what you love until you love to read and then just like letting kids follow their curiosity um I think that's huge. And I think that might explain why a lot of people who have gone down a similar path to you, they start with self-development or self-help books because that's, that's they okay, I'll notice I can get better. Let me get better. Um, and that, that is like where your curiosity kind of starts. I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're coming in at 45 minutes, maybe like the last thing that we could, we could um, attack last angle would be if you, were to give like a piece of advice to another person who's where you were kind of in the middle of COVID, you, you started having those two to three hour talks with your friend in your building. You're starting to explore ideas. You're starting to realize, Hey, there might be something here. I want to go down this kind of indie pathless path, not, not lawyer. Where would you say, and like, they want to start publishing ideas. they're kind of afraid of it. How would you say like, tell them get over that, consumer to creator hump what helped you make that transformation i suppose just do it would be my answer like just don't care and just go ahead and publish it start something today go ahead and do it if that's what you want 
you know, you have all these fears and stuff, but you're only going to get better if you start publishing. If you never publish, you're not going to get better. And, uh, you know, if you don't iterate and don't criticize your ideas, don't let others criticize your ideas. Again, they're not criticizing you. They might be criticizing you, but that's like kind of dumb on their part. But if they're criticizing your ideas and you should always let them criticize your ideas, then you're building, you're improving. And so let that happen. Keep questioning things. And yeah, I'm not really a fan of giving advice, specific advice, because I think that really um, messes up the way sort of relationships work as well, because um, you kind of for not really force it, but when you do tell someone something and then it doesn't work out, they come back to you and they're like, you know, you told me and I did exactly what you said, but uh, maybe that wasn't our intention, of course. But advice is like kind of funny things. So just question everything, question this advice as well and just do it. And if they do make that transformation, what sort of benefits might they see on the other side of, of uh becoming an online creator i know it's it's such a it's such a yeah i hate that term <laughs> yeah um someone who puts ideas into the internet what what yeah what might they receive in return well it depends on them if that's what they wanted to do then they were able to do what they wanted to do and kind of what i received from doing this i don't know i just had fun along the way and now all these things just lead to like a ton of opportunities that I'm even more excited about. And so I can go and pursue them and kind of just have more freedom, uh, accumulate wealth and yeah, just. It's beautiful. Arjun. I, I thank you so much for making the time today. Uh, is there anything you'd like to close with or you think we hit everything? I think we hit everything. Uh, it was great chatting yeah. and um, really it was a pleasure to be on as your first guest. Yeah, I'm grateful for having you. All right. Thank you.